Amen. Well, good evening, everyone. If you would, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Proverbs and to its beginning. Proverbs chapter 1. As I mentioned this morning, and you guys are all familiar with because you're here, growth groups ended last week, our third round of growth groups, and I hope that they were beneficial to all who attended. And so to let you guys know uh, sort of what's going on throughout uh, the next few Sunday nights, tonight we are starting uh, our, our new study through the book of Proverbs, and we won't meet, as Pastor Mason said, we won't meet next, next Sunday night. So tonight we'll take a, break, a break a week from right now. And then we'll come back through the month of December, and we're going to continue our study where we leave tonight off at. So we're going to be going through the book of Proverbs. And recently the Lord laid upon my heart uh, the convic- conviction followed by the desire uh, to study through the, the book of Proverbs in my own personal study time. So in addition to my personal plan that I was doing, I added a chapter a day uh, from Proverbs. And I'm convinced that the Lord placed this on my heart, given the circumstances that we are going through uh, as a church, just through this transitional uh, period of time. And uh, if there were ever a time that we as a church ought to be desperately seeking the wisdom of the Lord, it would be at a time such as this, as we ask the Lord uh, to make ready his next shepherd for the flock. As we, uh, provide, as we ask to provide the pulpit committee in, with wisdom and discernment throughout their search and every step that they take. I believe this transitional stage demands a greater source of wisdom and guidance than man. I believe that we must dig our heels deep into the word of the Lord and prayerfully seek his wisdom with every step that we take. So beginning tonight uh, and continuing again through the month of December, we're going to be looking at God's wisdom for navigating life by studying the scriptures found in Proverbs. The study is titled, Wise Words, Unlocking Wisdom from Proverbs. And as we embark upon this weekly study, I want to challenge you guys as well in your own personal reading time to add the book of Proverbs to your your personal devotion, to your personal study. If you look, there are 31 chapters in the book, so it makes it where you can read about one chapter a day, and you can get through it in a month. And if you're faithful, 12 times a year, right? So I really challenge and encourage you to do so. And now as we spend our Sunday evenings and hopefully our personal time as well studying the book of Proverbs, I want to remind us exactly what a proverb is. To begin with discussing what a proverb is. A proverb in secular terms is a general truth that is brief but rich in meaning. That's a pretty good definition, isn't it? It's a general truth that is brief but rich in meaning. Might I add that I hope that that is what is said of our studies on Sunday night. That the time is brief, but it's rich in meaning. I thought that would get an amen, especially on the brief portion. I guess not. Amen, right? I guess we can go long. It doesn't have to be brief. <laughs> no, but a proverb generally seeks to provide practical advice and to be used in the real world. Now, what sets the proverbs from the book of Proverbs apart from a regular proverb, is the fact that it's not just a general truth, but it is the divine word of God. And so what we see is that the God of all truth is providing us with the opportunity, opportunity to have wisdom, to seek wisdom. And so we can be certain as we study through Proverbs uh, that these, these Proverbs are, are not only beneficial in giving us uh, practical ways to live out our life, 
for the better, but ultimately filling us with wisdom that leads us to an eternal life. So as we turn to the word of God, as we look here in Proverbs, let's begin by reading in verse 1 of chapter 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, to the young man knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and will increase learning, and a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. To understand a proverb and an enigma, the words of the wise and their riddles. In verse 7, our, our verse will focus on this evening. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And Father, as we turn to your holy word, Lord, we ask that your wisdom would meet us here in our time of study. Lord, that you would reveal to our hearts where change is necessary. Lord, that you would show us how we might glorify you today and in the days to come. We pray this for your son's sake. Amen. Amen. If someone were to ask you, uh, what would be the purpose of Proverbs, or someone were to ask you, hey, summarize for me the book of Proverbs, I think it would be fair to point them to verses 1 through 7, correct? We could point them there, and it would be a, a fair summary of what's, what's going on in Proverbs, at least generally speaking. But even more so, if we were to say, hey, give me one verse and tell me what the book of Proverbs is about, I think we would rightly pick verse 7, where it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And from this summary of the book of Proverbs, it has been fairly said that Proverbs is like the gospel. What is meant by that is that it is a book of good news. It is good news for the simple because it gives and provides instruction to them. It is good news for the wicked because it provides their provision. It is good news all around because it leads us ultimately to the embodiment of wisdom who, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So we might correctly say that the fear of the Lord Jesus Christ is the beginning of wisdom. And in the remainder of our time this evening, I want to look at three questions. I want us to study through three questions and to seek to answer them briefly so that we as a church may, by God's grace, seek his wisdom and be granted it. Let me encourage you all that, uh, this evening that regardless of the wisdom or lack thereof that you walked in with uh, in this time, that you may be able to truly begin wisdom's journey, right? That we can all learn something tonight if we allow ourselves to. So your walk with wisdom can truly begin tonight. Or for those of you who, as uh, Proverbs puts it, are the silver-haired headed uh, with the crown of glory, right? Those of you who have the, the gray hair and have already been blessed with the wisdom of years, uh, you may be tempted to say, well, I've got this all figured out. I don't need more wisdom, right? Let me encourage you uh, with the words of Solomon, what he said as we read in verse 5, that a wise man will hear and will increase in their learning. So regardless uh, of where you came in in this time, tonight in your walk with wisdom, my prayer is that we will all hear and increase in our learning. So the first question I want us to look at this evening, and it may seem a little confusing at first, I want us to look at is, number one, who is the Lord? Who is the Lord? 
We just saw in the passage here uh, that the fear of the Lord, so we're going to investigate who the Lord truly is. And at first glance, this may be a funny question because we say, well, of course, Mitch, this is the Lord that we gather to worship three times a week, right? Sometimes four. That's the Lord who, who we're talking about very clearly. But I begin with this question because the correct answer to this question is the foundation of everything. The correct answer of who the Lord is is foundational to everything. Who the Lord truly is determines the way in which we live in the reason that we worship in life. It has been said, what comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Consider that for a moment. What you think of God is the most important thing about you. Because of this, I think that we ought to be very careful to pay attention to what we learn from God's word of who the Lord truly is. You see, the original word used here is Yahweh, the creator of all, as we just sang about. This is the Lord who revealed himself to Moses and told him, I am who I am. The self-sufficient God who lacks nothing, who needs nothing, and if everything in the universe were to suddenly disappear, he is who he is. To believe in him adds nothing to his perfections, and to doubt him takes nothing away. I want to encourage you uh, to, to use all that we have left in our brains for the remainder of our time this evening. I know that we have had a large portion of feeding from the word this morning, uh, and after a long afternoon, I know it's easy to come in the evening hours and to get a little tired and to say, we'll just relax, but don't do that. Engage. Allow your mind to really be stretched and ultimately your heart by the, the, the Spirit and the Word of the Lord. You see, if we were to try and reserve effort by not thinking so high and lofty about the Lord, but simplifying Him and putting Him into human terms where we can understand Him, well, then what we were doing by reducing Him and bringing Him down is committing a great sin. And that sin's consequences are grave. You see, uh, it is crucial to our faith that we think appropriately and correctly about who the Lord is. It's crucial to our faith. It is our faith. He's the foundation of all things. He's the foundation of our faith, and he's the author and protector of our salvation. So we need to understand who he is. As we said, indeed, he is the creator. Therefore, every created thing needs him, right? Pastor Mason talked about that this morning. Every created thing relies and, and, and depends on God. But understand this. God has no need. He has no need. He is without need. He lacks nothing. And looking into the self-sufficiency of God helps us to understand that the Lord is all that he is in himself. It is not based on, on creation and, and what we believe about him, but he is who he is in himself. And while that might be difficult for us to grasp tonight, it doesn't mean that it's false. It's absolute about who he is. A.W. Tozer, in his masterpiece, The Knowledge of the Holy, and might I add that this is a wonderful read. If you have not taken time to ever read it, it truly is beneficial to your faith. But he writes in his book about the self-existence of God, and he says this, The Lord alone can affirm, I am that I am. Yet we who are made in his image may each one repeat, I am. So confessing that we derive from him, and that our words are but an echo of his. Wow. 
He continues, It is not a cheerful thought that millions of us who live in the land of Bibles, who belong to churches and labor to promote the Christian religion, may yet pass our whole lives on this earth without once having thought or tried to think seriously about the being of God. Few of us have let our hearts gaze in wonder at the I am, the self-existent, self-back of which no creature can think. Such thoughts are too painful for us, so in our foolishness, we prefer to think where we believe it will do more good. Perhaps about how to build a better mousetrap, he says, or for instance, how to make two blades of grass grow where only one grew before. And for this, we are now paying too heavy a price in the secularization of our religion and the decay of our inner lives. And I share this lofty quote because it urges us to truly come face to face with the question of who the Lord is. The one who is amazing, so amazing that if we were to see him face to face, we would instantly die. The power and the might behind his being. It's important that we acknowledge that the Lord is not restricted or, or, or confined by matters such as time and space because those are things which he created. He's not trapped in the box we try to put him in. He is greater than all things we can fully comprehend. And because of this, every single one of his attributes are perfect in every way, even more than we can really understand about him. And what we know of him is what he has delighted in himself to share with us. What we know of God is by his grace that he desired to reveal to us about himself. You see, we were not created to fulfill a need of God's because, again, he has no need. We weren't made for him because he had a need for us. But really, to think about this is quite exciting. Perhaps we were created because God, in his perfect love, desired to share his glory with us so that we might know how great he truly is, and that we might love him, and that we might worship him with our whole lives. It's amazing, isn't it? That truly is amazing that the God of all creation loves us so personally that he would ensure our creation and our birth. That we might simply know who he is. Wow. Who is the Lord? He is the Almighty God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all three in one. And I've spent so much time on this question because without an appropriate understanding of the Lord, our efforts to do the next step, to fear him, will be in vain. How can we fear that which we do not know? We have to have a knowledge truly of who the Lord is, and the basis of our fear is rooted in that knowledge of who the Holy Lord is. You see, uh, what, we, what we view of God, again, is so important so that we might learn to truly fear him appropriately. And see, he has been gracious to reveal himself to us through his word, the Bible, and through the life of his son, Jesus, and ultimately through the work of his Holy Spirit in and through us. And now with a healthy understanding of who the Lord is, we can better learn to fear him. And this takes us to our second question as to what is this fear? First, we looked at who is the Lord, and now we're looking at what is the fear we're supposed to have. And moving on from this position of understanding at least uh, the foundation of who Yahweh is, 
Now we know uh, that we must grasp him as he is, and then we can learn about this fear. And really, uh, the fear, we hear the word, and it sometimes bring, brings a negative connotation about. I know when I first look at it, I think fear, well, I've been taught not to be afraid, right? Even the, the word of the Lord teaches us not to fear. We know that we can trust in the Lord. But to be honest, in respect to God, fear is actually a positive quality. In respect to God, fear is a positive quality. The Hebrew word used here for fear is yurah, yurah. And it points to a moral reverence. In other words, this fear is not so much a, oh no, I'm going to run and hide from God because I'm terrified of him. But it's more, a more appropriate view of it is that we are in awe of his splendor. We are in awe of everything that he is, and our response is reverence. Holy respect for who he is. The same word is used in Exodus 20, uh, chapter 20, verse 20, as Moses is addressing the Israelites. He says, do not be afraid. God has come to test you, so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. Don't be afraid. Oh, but the fear, have the fear of God, right? That almost seems like a contradiction here. But what we learn is that the fear of the Lord acknowledges God's good intentions. The fear of the Lord acknowledges God's good intentions, and it motivates us to be obedient to him. An appropriate fear of the Lord motivates us to be obedient to him. And so in the same fear which we face when we are walking out of line with God, the same fear that we have when we are not being obedient to him, this fear of the just judge, that is the fear that Solomon is writing about here. We fear him to the point of repenting and living obedient lives. That is the reverence that we ought to have. The same fear is used, the same word in Hebrew is used in Isaiah chapter 11, verses 2 and 3, as Isaiah prophesied about the coming Messiah, as he prophesied about the life of Jesus Christ. He said that the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, him being Jesus, and the Spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the Spirit of, of counsel and of might, the Spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. So what we see here is that Jesus had a fear of the Lord. In fact, being fully man and fully God, Jesus' fear was, was hinged on the reverence of the being of God. Respect, holy respect for who God is in his perfection. And this fear is appropriately equated again to reverence, as I said before, a reverence that leads to an absolute surrender and obedience. In the person of Jesus Christ, we actually see that this fear of the Lord is actually blossomed and grows into a love of God. Through Jesus, what began as a God who we could not have a true, genuine, personal relationship because he was so great and above us, through the life of Jesus, the incarnate God-man, Jesus, we were able to have a relationship with him personally in the way that no longer is it, is it a fear alone, but it is a fear built in with love. And so what we see is that to love the Lord and to fear the Lord are not a contradiction whatsoever, but in fact, love is the completion 
of a holy fear. Love is the, is the completed fruit of the fear we're supposed to have of the Lord. It's, fear, it's fair also that we think of this fear as trust. We think of this fear as trust. If we consider God uh, to be like the sun, we know that everything else revolves around it, correct? That it's not uh, the sun that revolves around everything else. It is the sun in the center, and every bit of life is around it. And so then we, in all humility, we must admit that we don't have control. That we don't know what is best for our lives. That if we, if we were up to, to our own, we would end up putting ourselves uh, so far away from God that we would be eternally separated from Him, correct? And so what we learn is that in a desperate act of humility, we must turn our lives over to His Lordship. We must turn our lives over to His Lordship. We must trust that He is all that we need and that He knows what is best for us. And so this trust is the faith which brings forth eternal life. We trust him with everything that we have. And so as we see first, we learn appropriately who God is. We can better understand how we are supposed to fear him. And this leads us to the third question of the night. And that is, what is this knowledge? What is this knowledge? Because we know that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. What exactly is the knowledge that we're looking at here? Well, in building the temple of knowledge, the fear of the Lord is the cornerstone. Fear of the Lord happens first, right? You fear the Lord first, and then the knowledge proceeds. That's why Solomon says it's, it's beginning. And the question of exactly what this knowledge is, is important because we daily encounter people who possess worldly knowledge, Right? It's important we understand this knowledge because I know all sorts of people who are a lot smarter than I am, right? I had some people in high school that I, I went to school with that were getting perfects on their ACT and SATs, and they had no idea who the Lord was, especially not how to fear Him appropriately, right? We know people who appear to be wise, who appear to be intelligent. But what we find here is that apart from God, there is no real wisdom. There is no true knowledge apart from the Lord. This is why we see the psalmist wrote in Psalm 14, verse 1, that the fool says in his heart, there is no God. The fool says that in their heart. Because to deny the very existence of God is to reject all knowledge and wisdom. You see, what the fool will not allow himself to see is that without God, there is no basis for wisdom. There is no basis for anything. There is no basis for man without God. But why do we live in a world where it seems there are so many people who, who rely on their own knowledge, who rely on their own worldly and secular wisdom? Why do we live in a world where it seems that there is a growing number of professing atheists? Why? Well, could the answer be simply that everyone is foolish? Yeah. The answer can be that simple. Because to not fear the Lord is to be a fool. To not know and fear the Lord is to be foolish. And so we see ultimately that for the fool, it is not a mental dilemma. It's not that they, they can't understand. But it is, in fact, a moral dilemma. It's an issue of pride. 
It's that they don't want to understand. You see, it's not so much that they don't believe in God, but that they don't want to believe in God. Because if we accept the God of the Bible, then we must accept him as he is. And to accept him as he is requires that we come to a place of fear and reverence for him. And to do that means that we surrender our throne over to him as Lord. And we cannot surrender our throne over to the Lord whilst also remaining seated upon it ourselves. Pride. We don't want to accept that there is God or that he is the Lord of all because we want to be the Lord of our lives. We want to live how we want to live. We don't want to, to bend under God's will. You see, the sin which corrupted the, the devil ultimately and, and the, the pride which led to the fall of mankind was the temptation to be like God. To be like God. And this idea that we can determine what is right in our own lives, that we don't need to rely on God. That we can make it fine on our own. And the reality is, is that our own pride, uh, we won't bend under, under the Lord's will, so foolishly, we reject Him. We say there is no God, because we prefer that than to have to be obedient or to be a hypocrite. And so C.S. Lewis wrote on uh, this in Mere Christianity. He said, as long as you are proud, you cannot know God. He says, a proud man is always looking down on things and, and people. And of course, as long as you are always looking down, you cannot see that which is above you. You see, if we think God away, we have no, no ground for, for existence of man. So this matter of knowledge is not so much uh, like the head knowledge, but really it's the heart knowledge. It's the fact that we are foolish in our hearts when we try to deny God. And we cannot truly understand, or we can truly understand this by looking at the root of the word which is used here for knowledge. And its root is to know. The Hebrew is yada. And one of the definitions here which helps bring clarity to this passage is seen in Genesis 25, verse 27. It's describing the skill involved in hunting. A hunter yada how to hunt. A hunter knows how to hunt. But a true hunter does not simply know how to hunt, right? A, a hunter, a true hunter is one who is skilled in hunting. One who is skilled in hunting. He knows how to put into practice what he has learned about hunting. And that's what we see here of this knowledge. It is rightly applying what we learn from the Lord. Does that make sense? We take what the Lord has revealed to us, and we are skillful in it. Meaning, as the Lord tells us to walk a certain way, as his word reveals to us that we are to be obedient to him, we don't just know how to do that. We are skillful in doing so. We are obedient. We are knowledgeable. And to truly fear the Lord is to surrender our lives so that he is the Lord. We allow him to lead. And we surrender under his will. And then we truly begin the walk with wisdom. Because to have knowledge and to have wisdom is to apply God's word to our lives. To let it live out through us. You see, the knowledge is not simply knowing about God, but it is a transformative knowledge which leads to an eternal relationship. 
It's not just knowing about him. It's a relationship with him. We yada him. We know him. We love him. We fear him. We are obedient to him. Tonight, as possibly uh, our our minds have been filled to the brim with all sorts of thinking, especially on who is this Lord, right? Who is the Lord? I hope that your thoughts about God have been refreshing to your soul. I hope that they've been pleasing to him. You see, uh, the reality is, is that we may not be able to fully understand who God is because we're finite. But that's okay. Because what we do understand is that in his infinite goodness, he has revealed himself to us to the point of becoming man, through the life of Jesus Christ. And by his word and his spirit, we may come to know him, we may come to fear him, and to walk in wisdom by skillfully putting his word into faithful, obedient practice. And we do all of this from a place of fear, from a place of love for his glory. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Let's pray. God, we love you. We praise you. Lord, we turn our lives completely over to you. Father, I pray that through your word we would understand that you are greater than we can fully comprehend. That you are so high above everything else. That you are so glorious and so holy. Lord, we would learn from that position to fear you appropriately. And not that we are running and hiding from you, but that we are falling on our knees in awe of how great you truly are. And that you would lead us to repent, to, to change the areas in our heart where we are against you, that you would cleanse us by the blood of your son, Jesus. We would have freedom in you, that you would be the Lord of our lives, and that we might begin our walk with you, which is a walk of wisdom. We pray all of this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.